Hi there, and welcome to One Hit, hit KO, our podcast where we try and tackle important global issues such as when video games are being released. I may not be joined by any special guests this week, but I am delighted to be joined yet again by Amal, who apparently has some interesting weather jokes to make up for my lack of a witty intro. Um, I'm not too sure on the weather jokes. It looks like no, I don't. <laughs> you don't. You sold <laughs> that, me that's these great. dreams. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. You put me on the spot, Rob. No, but I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I'm doing okay this week. You know, I'm, I'm very positive again. You know, bringing all this positivity to the podcast. I'm also more positive because it just seems like this lockdown stuff is just easing up even more. So hopefully, barring you know, fingers crossed, touch wood, um, everything is is going to improve in the future. Yeah, like, I think this week is one of the few where it's actually gone quite quickly, which is a change of pace from the slow crawl of uh, Monday to Sunday uh, that it has been in the past month or two. It's almost like the storm clouds are just clearing up and now the, the sun is beginning to shine, uh, if you want a yes. metaphor. A simple <laughs> kid's metaphor there. Uh, yeah, it's I, nice. I felt good for making that up, but no, no, now I feel like an, an idiot. But. Yeah, it's a good metaphor. I kind of hope that the sun comes out yet again, because uh, in, in London, it is currently pretty dismal. Yeah, it was thundering yesterday. Um, I'm not yeah, too sure mad. if that's a sign of anything, but... Um... Bad omen. Well, the positivity, I can I can feel your energy uh, through the sound yes. waves. So, um, yeah, looking forward to this. It's been quite a quiet week, but I think we have a lot of uh, interesting things to discuss. Yeah. And yeah, just for anyone that um, hasn't, um, if this is your first One Hit KO episode, this is a, a predominantly gaming podcast where we just discuss a lot of kind of topics in depth, um, some news, some lots of cool things. And yeah, uh, you can follow us at uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or at One Hit KO Podcast. And you can email us your questions and your feedback at One Hit KO Podcast at gmail.com. Yeah, and even if you live in a, a town like Poplar, you can... <laughs> okay, yeah, we need some context to this. So we have analytics for um, Anchor, which we use to host the podcast. And um, it tells us the towns that our listeners are from. And yeah, yeah again, thank you everyone else, uh, or everyone for your support. And not everyone else, we appreciate the people from Poplar. <laughs> but yeah, we were just kind of surprised by some of these made-up places. And it turns out Poplar is actually, like... It's oh, not it even like up. a place in the country or, you know, somewhere north. It's just in the middle of London, in yeah, central in the, London. The kind of, uh, not Charing Cross, uh, the Canary Wharf area that's, um, yeah. I may be ignorant because I haven't really gone there too much, but it just feels kind of surreal and dead. Um, but if you're living there and you're listening, um, we greatly appreciate your support, but Poplar is going to be our new kind of um banter yeah and now you've been mentioned on our podcast we're gonna make you popular oh that was that's good that makes up for the lack of a, a weather joke weather jokes I'm happy yeah. with that <laughs> cool well uh should we get into uh what we've been playing this week uh amar yeah. would you like to start yeah. yeah so not much of a change for me i've just been playing um more of ori and the will of the wisps um nice. still continuing to track through that game um I, I'm still continuing 
continue to be amazed by how much of it, how much has changed and improved from the previous entry, uh, whether that's the soundtrack or the the combat. But one one really cool moment I had uh, in Ori this week was, I think I commented last week on the lack of a big punchy story, not big punchy story, but like big punchy character moment at the start of Ori uh, and the Blind Forest. Uh, which wasn't there in Weather of the Wisps. Well, I, I kind of got to this point where actually the, there was quite a somber, sad moment. And I could, it, it was quite a simple kind of just sad kind of story element that most video games have, but it just hit me a bit more. I don't know why. Just the way it was integrated through the gameplay and how you got and arrived at that area and how somber and sad the area was and what happened to this this you know what happened in this event it's just you know it was quite sad and and i was i was quite surprised actually ori can still kind of pull these moments <laughs> and I'm, i continue to be impressed by the contrast of ori and the blind forest being a splatformer type metroidvania where there's it's it's very bleak in terms of there's no other characters that you can really interact and talk to whereas will of the wisps the cast is just completely expanded. All these side quests you can get from these characters, constantly meeting up with new characters or existing characters um, throughout your journey. And it just feels a lot more alive and lived in. I'm really liking that aspect. So, yeah. Is it more about the kind of community aspect? Is it more positive, more negative compared to the first one? It's slightly more upbeat because you keep re-meeting characters, if you know what I mean, in terms of this character's perhaps the character that gives you maps and this character is someone who's wandering the the world um and then you have kind of a a main village essentially where you have all of them you know coalescing at this one place um so yeah it is it's definitely a different vibe from all uh, the other ori where it just felt very desolate um, mm. given the storyline uh, of the of the forest become desolate whereas the the place that you're in in, in Ori 2 is becoming more kind of desolate and um infected but it's not quite at that point yet um, yeah but yeah yeah um it's 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 definitely a different vibe yeah the first game did feel very lonely mm. and um in in a good way and I felt that way uh, with Hollow Knight 2, which I'll mention yeah. on every single podcast if I can, because <laughs> it's such a good game. But yeah, just the, the loneliness was really stark and powerful for me in the first Ori. And while, yeah, like this is uh, maybe doesn't retain that sort of kind of element of uh, like kind of really impactful loneliness. I'm glad that they've um, they've gone in a different direction because, yeah, just it's its own game. Yeah, um, the, the combat alone play. is completely different and very interesting it's I'm, I'm quite impressed how they've just revamped the whole combat system but yeah enjoying that um so rob what have you been playing this week uh good question so uh, i've been playing a lot and by a lot Ooh. i mean like a lot underlined bolded everything of persona <laughs> 5 royal which i've finally been able to really dive into yeah um I'm not going to talk about it too much now because I think I'd like to visit it um, when I complete it um, okay. in like 60 hours time. <laughs> uh, so you, you can wait for that. But some interesting games I was playing, um, this is only in the past couple of days, was I revisited some really old ones from early in my childhood. Um, specifically, uh, I looked at um, Lego Island 2, 
the Brix's Revenge on Game Boy Color. <laughs> the Brix's Revenge. It's like the Lego Island series, I think, is um it has quite a, a kind of a fan base, I guess. I, I know a lot of yeah. people look back on it nostalgically. But this is the Game Boy Color um, port. Oh, and wow. It's made by a different developer and it's uh, it's very bare bones. But even then, and it's not, not a particularly great game, but even then during my childhood, I really enjoyed playing it. And I can even remember sometimes um, where I was on, like, on holiday or somewhere else where I can remember yeah. the specific place where I played this game. So yeah. I guess it did have an impact on me. But yeah, then revisiting it um, yesterday... Uh, like you know from a nostalgia perspective it was like it was fantastic yeah but from a from a gameplay perspective looking at it now when i've played so much more and i'm probably looking at it with a slight more critical eye yeah. than i was when i was about four years old <laughs> it's yeah there's a lot of things that are just really really bad about that game what type and... of game is it like gameplay wise uh, in terms <sighs> of the game boy color version it's like i guess it's like an action game but you can't die in it you kind of oh. you can fire pizzas with uh, this oh, pizza garden. That sounds but so fun. It's, I wish it's, I could fire pizzas. But like you have no kind of idea, kind of where you're meant to be going. The level design is pretty poor. It's yeah. not really exciting whatsoever. Yeah, I still have really, really strong nostalgic thoughts of this game. Yeah, and it kind of led me to think about something in that I know a lot of people, including myself, kind of. They look back on older games and they may think, oh, you know, I wish I wish I could kind of go back to that sort of time or I wish I could kind of relive that sort of game or moment. Yeah. Um, I think in a lot of ways that isn't necessarily because of the game, but it's more about the kind of the time and the context that that game is attached to for you. Yeah. So like, I mean, right now we have so many fantastic modern games that are objectively miles above the likes of lego island 2 but it's gonna struggle for me to really kind of gain that connection with a lot of modern games because they don't have that kind of they haven't hooked into a part of my life at least right now that lego island 2 did um so it's just kind of a it's it's made me think a lot about nostalgia and how we handle it and i'd love to talk about that more maybe another episode yeah um but yeah it's just it's been a bit of a interesting uh it's uh, quite an interesting choice yeah i yeah. just i'm just trying to think of now games where you you could design a game where you're firing pizzas at people but not in a bad <laughs> way in a good way like you've got a restaurant and it's full of people and you want to serve them very quickly so you just fire pizzas into their mouth in a safe way but um yeah that Maybe does remind I'm... me of um there was some uh I don't know if you've ever played it, but they had Game and Watch gallery games on oh, like, yes. Game by Colour. Yeah, they have one which is like a pizza thing. You need to oh, make sure cool. they go off the conveyor belt or something. It's uh yeah, kind of interesting. Don't steal that idea. <laughs> yeah, this is ours. But yeah, playing uh, Lego Island 2 actually just made me think like I, I'm not a game developer. I know very little about game design, but I was like, I would I reckon I could do better than this myself. And maybe one day I will. Um, we'll have to see. Yeah. Cool. Have you been playing anything else? Uh, I played a bit of um, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1, the original, in this ah. kind of nostalgia throwback. But that is one game that I think really stands up, like, really well. Still, yeah. The future Tony Hawk's games, the Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2 and 3 onwards, like, they just finesse the controls and, like, the combos and stuff so much mm. better. But this is the original and it just it just gets so much right, honestly. Like the music, the soundtrack, the kind of the controls, the stages, 
it's it's so weird for a kind of what is a license it's not a licensed kind of tie-in game because there's no tony hawk's film but you know it's yeah a game made to kind of tie in with his persona and it's just so well done it's it's yeah i'm it's, genuinely surprised it's it's not even the persona it's more just you got you've got a famous skater let's just put him on um a skating game um yeah. and i kind of like tiger woods when it was called tiger woods uh pro was it pro golf or something yeah um, all that kind of stuff yeah it's i i'm really looking forward to the upcoming remakes for tony Hawk's pro yep. skater one and two uh Should by really our Chima because <laughs> yeah it's gonna be great to revisit them in hd uh with kind of full controller support all that sort of thing yeah really excited yeah yeah hopefully three comes along soon because that's the only one i played but uh... <laughs> three needs to come back 100 percent. the airplane level yes Port, the sorry. best cool. cool let's go on to um some news topics so um yeah just to kind of run over a few things quite briefly i know we had a lot of uh, postponements of conferences and events um understandably because of the events going along in the world right now that are far more important uh but uh ea play has been moved to june the 18th uh sony is still tba but i reckon we'll hear something by the end of june yeah and cyberpunk i can't remember what it's called it's like night it was like an event like a i think because i haven't really showed too much of the game past that hour game yeah. demo but yeah that's moving as well yeah that's now uh june the 25th so we have uh quite a few exciting announcements um coming up in place of e3 and i'm sure we have other ones that will uh, just kind of surprise drop as well which is yeah um i'm quite excited to look forward to i'm hoping on something nintendo related especially those mario games that are rumored um i'm hoping for that um, that should be soonish, long. right? That should be coming well, soon. Well, if if E3 was going ahead as normal, it would have been announced in like a week or two. Yeah. Um, I'd understand if they maybe um, delay it uh, to just you know because of the consequences of COVID um, slightly. Yeah. But we should be hearing something sooner rather than later, I reckon. Cool. Yeah, that's that's cool. Um, but in terms of a uh, kind of um, uh, major world events, obviously, uh, I think the whole gaming community. And in a really like inspiring way, has come Positive together, way, yeah. yeah, to um to really kind of get behind the Black Lives Matter movement that's going on right now, and yeah, I think the the biggest coolest news was the itch.io sales, which um seven forty games. That's kind of mad, isn't it? Yeah, that is that is a lot, but it's all for a good cause in terms of donating it to um causes for ra- uh, racial equality and, and stuff like that so yeah they've yes. currently raised 1.7 million for the naacp legal defense and education fund and also the community bail fund which is a very impressive amount and i think papers please the developers behind i can't remember the papers please developers names um but they're also donating for 24 hours any proceeds um sold um from selling that game to to charities as well so just great stuff yeah that is awesome and like from like i hope everyone listening is trying to donate kind of read up support amplify the voices of black people around the world right now but you know buying these games and donating money is a really positive way to like both support these causes but also you can um support developers uh that have like simultaneously back to them and enjoy some good games to boot yeah. i think there's like a i think you said super hexagon uh super night, hexagon, in the woods. night in the woods and oh, i can't remember the other one. Oh, minute uh which you, you were talking about i think last week oh or yeah the 
previous week's episode some good games in that bundle so um, oh yeah and like i think those games separately have been more than the price of the bundle yeah so there's there's no excuse to get there that is bundle. absolutely no reason unless or for a good got, cause yeah if you own all 740 games already um fair play to you uh let <laughs> us know and we'd love to have you on as a guest and uh hear a review for each of them but if you if you do like own a lot of those games just just donate anyway like yeah. it's yeah um yeah that's all i can really say about that uh cool. and some other exciting news um, yeah so is, uh, bloodborne may be making a return Re- blo- oh, i was gonna try and make a joke but it didn't work uh <laughs> re-bloodborne reborn 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 bloodborne nice. is reborn oh, <laughs> i'm glad got you got that it in the end that's worth it <laughs> uh but yeah the um it seems like Blue Point Games, who are a famous kind of remaster port studio, very high quality studio, who've done um, r- some really good work in the past, um, are maybe going to be, well, according to rumour, remastering Bloodborne for PS5 and PC. Uh, PC is interesting because it hasn't come out for PC, uh, the original version. Um, mm. But I think it's getting the 4K 60 treatment um, and also should have you know better load times because apparently the load times on the original was were quite bad but also some other other neat improvements so that's quite exciting yeah blue point um did the really really impressive shadow of the colossus remake um yeah. i think it was 2018 and like yeah they've they've like obviously this is going to be a less of a overhaul than that game because bloodborne was despite yeah some loading times it was still a pretty good technical showcase of the ps4 yeah but yeah seeing them seeing it come back for ps5 is awesome and especially for pc that's kind of a bit of a left field move i know there's been some rumors of uh horizon zero dawn also making the way to pc i can't can't remember if that was fully announced or if that's a rumor still but yeah yeah that's pretty strong like it would make sense for uh for sony to share some of their older kind of ps4 games um more multi-platform especially if they're releasing sequels to them. Like, mm-hmm. if, if you play Horizon Zero Dawn on PC and love it, then Horizon Zero Dawn 2 on PS5 is a shoo-in. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's cool to kind of see that. Like, so you have Microsoft as well on... Um, uh, Microsoft's games kind on of Switch. fully, fully gone. Oh, on Switch, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Ori in the Blind Forest. Um, Cuphead 2. Yep, there was that rumour, that persistent rumour that they were going to try and get deep level integration with Xbox Live games. I think it is at a basic level on a one or two games like minecraft in the back end yeah but there was that persistent rumor for, for quite a while um but yeah yeah there's it's, it's interesting to see all these kind of cross cross releases yeah. of these um old games it's good just you know the accessibility of gaming is is something that's important so making it more accessible yeah. is uh fantastic but yeah on the on the topic of um xbox Ooh. uh the Fourteen hundred dollar or fourteen hundred pounds, I think it's two thousand dollars in the US. Cyberpunk Xbox <laughs> One X. Uh, it did turn out to uh, obviously not be the price, which is a bit disappointing in some ways. It would be a have bit been cheaper. Quite, yeah, <laughs> it would have been a statement if it was uh, that full <laughs> price. But uh, yeah, they released it uh, for three hundred dollars or two hundred sixty pounds oh. um, a few days ago, and it sold out pretty quickly. And kind of as far as bundles go, considering you get a limited edition controller, you get the Cyberpunk game, and you also get the Cyberpunk DLC, both 
digital codes which will be activated when um the game is released that is a pretty insane bundle that's a pretty good deal yeah so that's games like 40 quid so you're getting a, con- a limited edition console for like 210 ish yeah with, with, with the controller as well you're with, buying the xbox yeah. itself for like yeah about 150 which is kind of crazy especially when there's rumors of uh the new um the new consoles maybe being upwards of 500 but yeah, yeah i did actually uh make the jump on that so i'm looking forward to uh playing Ori remember, the Wisps. yeah oh yes yeah that's definitely a game you should play but i can't remember the design of the cyberpunk one what does it look like again is it gray ish no it's like it's it almost looks like it's been put together from multiple parts it looks very kind of scrappy uh, in, in a cyberpunk yeah. aesthetic it's one of those ones where you either love it or you hate it um and i'm very much in a love it camp so yeah uh cool that's gonna be cool Rob, why don't we move on to something that we've cucked up um, <laughs> a few days ago, um, and this is a quick-fire prediction round. So, yes, essentially, I'm looking forward to this a lot. We've got four or five questions that we're going to put to ourselves, and we're going to try and predict what what the answer is. Very simple, like one to two answer uh, answer question answers. And some of these questions we won't know the answer to until maybe three, four, five years down the line. So it's going to be really fun to see and look back if we're still alive in this post-COVID world. Sorry, I'm being too negative there. (laughs) Um, What the answers might be to them. So, yeah. Shall we go ahead with this, Rob, and fire off the first question? Let's do it. Cool. Let's go. So our first question is, what do you think the next-gen what do you think the prices of the next-gen consoles will be, i.e. Xbox Series X and PS5? And we will probably know the answers to that question very, very soon. Yes, which will be a good one to uh, look at in a few weeks. Um, yeah. I'll go first because I know we've discussed this before and um, you're more kind of... Uh, you have strong views on this, I guess. <laughs> um, but I reckon um, the Xbox One X is going to be £499. Mm. And I reckon the PS5 is going to be over 500 uh, But because I guess we need to give a specific number, I'm going to say five, 520 Wow. I, it's going to be expensive. I, I understand why you think those are the answers because of the impact, the possible impact of COVID on like supply chains and all that. And maybe they they can't get enough supply in the first year or two but i'm thinking instead i'm going i'm i'm more comparing to the experience of last generation where microsoft launched the xbox 1 at 500 and the ps4 400 if i recall correctly because the, the xbox 1 had connect in as well if you remember yeah. connect um so i'm thinking <laughs> I because of connect <laughs> that thing just went, yeah it's yeah, it's crazy how that thing got removed from uh, the base system. But essentially, I'm thinking, comparing that to the last experience, maybe factoring in post-COVID costs, PS5 is going to be higher because of that SSD and some of the custom parts, and because I feel like Microsoft can get can make a bit more of a loss just in terms of their business uh, and the... Um, absorbing that with the other lines of business i think ps5 450 449 whatever pounds 
Xbox Series X 400. Wow, I yeah. think that's very ambitious, especially if the rumors of a cheaper Xbox are floating around. Unless that's, you think that's, that's going to be significantly cheaper. Yeah, now that you say that, I kind of want to change it to like 420 no, or 450, no, but I can't. I've locked it in now. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, 450, sorry, 405, 450. Uh, cool. Well, we'll revisit that in a future episode um, because we have a few more to get through and I'm going to be a game show host and try and uh, <laughs> rush you for your answer. <laughs> Go on, um, next question. Cool. Uh, the next question is uh, the release dates for Breath of the Wild 2. And Metroid Prime 4. What are Ooh. your guesses? So Breath of the Wild 2, because Breath of the Wild released in 2017, I was thinking pre-COVID, earliest would be late 2020. I'm now thinking holiday 2021 for Breath of the Wild 2. Metroid Prime 4 is going to be a Switch 2 game, whatever the successor is, because that game got really? scrapped. If we're thinking of that and the success of the Switch, which would be about six years after 2017, I'm thinking 2023 holiday. I think I agree with Breath of the Wild too, actually. Um, that I think uh, kind of November next year um, is probably the safest bet. Although I'm going to go a bit kind of a curveball and I'm going to go for I'm going to go for March next year. I would have said March if it wasn't for COVID. And I think, I, I don't know how COVID's impacted, you know, their development schedules and stuff, but I just have a feeling it's going to have some mm. type of impact. And that's where my December one came in. Yeah, no, I, I just don't think that um, it's not really a kind of a November game. That's normally when you have like the big kind of Pokemon one. And I reckon there will be a Pokemon mm. one next year. Actually, I'm going to I'm going to change my guess um to cuz I I make I make my own rules. <laughs> change it to spring 2022. Oh, I okay. think. So yeah. that's yeah, a year in spring. I think I think that's going to happen. Lock it in now. Got change. That's it. locked in. Metroid and Prime Metro Prime 4. 4, I reckon that's going to be uh holiday season, so like November 2022. Yeah. Oh, it's not going to be as long as you ambitious. say, I don't think. That's ambitious. Nah, because it's been in development, like the scrapped one, for about two years or so now, I think. It's been it's been a while. And also just like, the they have one... retro completely devoted to it. Yeah. And I games still... are quicker to develop. I think it's going to happen. Uh, I think that AAA budget, recreating that game, and them starting late 2018, was it? Or twenty late 2018? Yep. So that's mm. now being also, in development. Also, it's not going to be starting from scratch. They'll have like engines, they'll have assets they'll be able to use. Yeah, but I still think for the scope they might want to create for it, it'll be a good Switch 2 launch title. Mm. I don't I don't even think a Switch 2 is going to happen, to be honest. Oh, no, um, no, 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 that's, no. That's, Switch that's a discussion for happen. another day. Okay. <laughs> okay, next okay. question. Uh, next question. Um, well, we're going to make this the final question for now. We might do some more predictions later just because I'm uh, conscious of the time. Where do you think that the next Assassin's Creed game after Valhalla will be set? And most importantly, will they show gameplay in the first gameplay trailer for it? Oh, good question. First part, Japan. I think it's time to go to Japan. It's just time. Japan. Let's do it. Let's, let's Which set period? Feudal Japan. 
So basically, uh, Ghost of Tsushima, but yeah. with Assassin's Creed Brandon. Yeah, that's the most famous kind of period for you know medieval Japanese history. So I could easily see them doing that. And then will they show gameplay? Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> so, yeah. And how about 100%. your first? They will one? not show gameplay in their first gameplay trailer. Where do you think it's going to be set? Um, it's not like I guess it's not a prediction. It's more kind of a hope for me that yeah. I've always wanted to see an Assassin's Creed set during um, Soviet Russia. I guess Ooh. specifically during the kind of the era of the purges um, when Stalin yeah. was around, because there'd be a lot of kind of interesting things you could do with that. That's really interesting. And setting. while I know, yeah. Cold War's been done a lot, but I think a, f- a kind of a more assassiny focus, or at least Assassin's Creed, like quite kind of historically like focused uh, perspective, yeah, on that sort of element. You could have like, you know, are you maybe even options like, do you help like facilitate the purges or do mm. you try and save people? Maybe there can be some impacts that happen after. Maybe you can even like change history, which would be pretty sick. Have you called have you called Ubisoft about this? Because this sounds like a good game idea. Well, Ubisoft, if you're listening, which I mean of course you are, uh, you know my number, you know my email, one hit podcast at gmail.com. Uh send me through an email and I'll get back to you and uh, we can discuss my terms. Cool. Okay, so that's our predictions. Cool. Lock those in and yeah we'll they see are locked how those in. go i'm hoping that by the time we know whether metro prime 4 will be released in like 2023 yeah the podcast will still be going this will be like episode 150 or yeah, and we'll come 200. back to this one cool shall we move on to our first section of this podcast Rob? let's do it Cool. Okay. Well, this so, uh, first section is a very special one, um, an anniversary yeah. of one of gaming's giants. Yeah, used to be giants, but not as much anymore. <laughs> but no, no, no. It's still they an are, institution. They're, they're, yeah, institutionally, yeah. It's um, it's Sega. Sega's 60th anniversary was um, on the 3rd of June, 2020, just, uh, just a few days ago. And we thought it'd be a good time to, you know, celebrate and discuss, you know, Sega's history, our favourite sega games and releases and just you know some of the pop culture stuff surrounding sega um so yeah where where do you want to start with this rob do you want to talk about some of your favorite sega games and and systems uh yeah sure so my kind of i guess it's worth looking at my relationship with sega as a kind of a gaming entity before or else it's kind of been interesting because i wasn't really kind of around i guess <laughs> even alive during um that period of dominance in the late 90s um and kind of yep. the 90s as a whole to be honest um dreamcast released in 1999 i was three years old then and um we just had an snes so um while i did play um some mega drive at someone's house a few times i never actually owned any of their consoles but that being said, looking at it from a kind of with hindsight, uh, I think there's a lot of really cool things that they did, especially in the Dreamcast. I think Dreamcast was a fantastic console that sadly was just kind of maybe very, a bit too weird to very live. Very unique with the VMU, the um, the controller with a screen inside. Uh, if you yeah in comparison, Wii U is probably best comparison there. Yeah, I, th- I think Dreamcast was probably a bit like better realized, probably a better support than the Wii U, and 
makes a bit more sense but um yeah. it's, it's a really cool console i kind of wish i was kind of yeah properly engaged with the gaming community when that was released because i'm sure it yeah. would have been like a really fascinating moment of gaming history but that being said i do have a lot of fond memories with um a lot of sega games uh so uh weirdly one of my first experience of it was uh the Sonic Advance GBA games, which weren't actually oh. developed by Sega directly, but I'm I'm claiming it. They were <laughs> a lot of fun, and that kind of introduced me to Sonic as a character. After that, I bought Sonic Adventure 2 Battle on the GameCube, which I really, really loved, despite it being massively flawed. I think that's one game that if I went back to it now, like yeah. I was saying earlier with um, Tony Hawk's Pro, or not Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, really, but the Lego Island one, I'd probably get more frustrated than anything, but I loved that as a kid. It was awesome. And um, I've also had a lot of fun with the likes of Super Monkey Ball, uh, the original Jet Set Radio. Oh. I really want to play this new one, um, or not new one, the the one that Matt mentioned on the podcast Jet last week, Radio Jet Set Radio Future. Future. Yeah. Like, that sounds really cool. Uh, Choo Choo Rocket uh, was a really cool puzzle game that had this like kind of adorable kind of cat and mouse motif to it. And um, probably most recently my two favorite sega games of all time really was uh sonic mania which was just like a perfect 2d sonic game and mm. it's fantastic to play and also uh persona 5 which is uh created by atlas who is a subsidiary of sega now and i didn't it's not really kind of i think we'll get into this later but it's not really a game i'd associate with uh, sega as much but i'm really glad that um they have been um, a company that's kind of facilitated the production of a really kind of ambitious and weird RPG. Uh, but yeah, I, cool. I have a massive, massive respect and admiration for Sega as a company. And 60 years is a, a fantastic milestone. Yeah. So uh, if you're listening, congrats. Yeah, some of my favorite memories, um, again, going back to the Mega Drive, because that's where most of my Sega memories for, for my early history is it's it's Sonic again, Sonic 1, 2 and 3. Didn't complete any of them completely, I think. Uh, but, you know, as a kid, I, I enjoyed going through the first few levels, Green Hill Zone, Chemical Plant, that kind of stuff. And that was interesting. I don't know if you've tried Sonic CD, but it's essentially um, a game released for the Sega CD back in the day, which was an add-on for the Sega Mega Drive a disc-based add-on which also improved some specs but this this um this used like time travel as an element throughout the levels so you would go back and forth through time if you hit specific triggers in a level um, for each level uh, which was really interesting and it has a really cool soundtrack a really jazzy soundtrack um recommend um, you playing it if you haven't i think it's quite available on like newer platforms now like steam and stuff so it's been ported ported across and you don't need I have to buy actually CD. played it on ios that was my oh, first experience with it. It's a really, really good port um, oh, done okay. by the oh, guys yes, because, Sonic Mania. Because I hear the, the Sonic uh, ports on iOS and Android are actually really good, uh, really faithful. Um, yeah, and they're actually like fairly easy to play with um, the virtual controls because oh. there's kind of a less fidelity to the platforming um, as with a lot of other games. So yeah. uh, they work quite well. They're nice and responsive. Obviously, it doesn't beat um, the real thing of a controller, but... Yeah. Yeah, that's a good avenue if anyone wants to check them out. Cool. And then just not just Sonic um, as the poster boy, but I remember playing Streets of Rage and Golden Axe, as discussed last week, Streets of Rage, one of my favourite beat-em-ups, um, great soundtrack. Played one, two, and didn't finish three, from what I can remember. 
but I enjoyed all of those. Um, Golden Axe as well. I think played Golden Axe one and two. It's again another beat 'em up, but it's set in like a medievalish setting, and you can choose from three characters who have an axe. Um, oh, I can't remember what the other two characters had. Uh, it's been far too long, but it was a really cool beat 'em up. Um, recommend playing it. Um, Crazy Taxi on the Dreamcast. Well, I didn't play it on the Dreamcast. Played it on the PC, uh, but I really enjoyed. Um, just how arcadey and just the the crazy taxi kind of you know voiceovers and all that <laughs> kind of stuff. It was a really fun game. It's really cool, just that weird concept of picking up people and then turning that into an arcade game. Going from the initial concept to developing that into a fun concept that that that's really interesting to me um, when you think about it. Because you can't when you think of uber driving you don't think oh this is really exciting let's make a game about uber driving <laughs> um but no it's it's really cool and fun um super monkey ball like you rob um i bought super monkey ball one on the gamecube and really enjoyed it i was really terrible at it like absolutely terrible uh for the first few years but uh i eventually got the hang of it and i don't know why i was so terrible at it <laughs> um but yeah yeah um I have strong memories of playing especially Golden Axe and Streets of Rage with um, family members and playing co-op with the, with those uh, particular family members. So those really stick out to me, the beat-em-ups especially. Um, but yeah. Yeah, that sounds like a lot of kind of fond memories, which I think underlines uh, just how good so many of these, especially the kind of the sort of the earlier Sega games were. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting um, if we start taking a look at Sega as a publisher they've they've changed quite a lot over the years so like initially they were very kind of focused yeah on these 2d sonic games and a lot of these kind of like these like streets of rage type games which uh were like i I think sega had a sort of image that um they really did play to and they had that sort of consistency in the same way that i think nintendo has that kind of that feel with a lot of their games they 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 had that whole edgier feel with the blast processing type advertising on the genesis v some snes adverts and all that yeah so it was definitely yeah they definitely had of... a swagger when they yeah. were like uh, releasing games alongside systems but I, I think since um since they've gone out the console market mm. they have slightly changed their tack a bit so um their second best-selling game like of kind of modern times was persona 5 which ah. as i said earlier doesn't entirely align with my image of what sega produces that actually sold 3.6 million which is only just below sonic durations at 3.87 million but it's miles above a lot of the other um modern sonic games which is uh really impressive yeah and also uh the yakuza series um is their sixth best-selling one and has had more games in the past three years than basically um, any other time in its history (laughs) Which is uh, kind of like they're, they're awesome games. Speaks to the popularity of that in Japan, that series, but also that becoming a bit more popular now in the West as well. With Yakuza yeah, it's definitely Zero made that transition over. Masters, yeah, yeah, which is cool to see. But it's like it's just kind of interesting how they have changed, um, and that's also yeah. comes alongside them leaving a lot of their um, IPs, such as a lot of the ones we mentioned, like Golden Axe, Choo Choo Rocket, Jet Set Radio. They've all kind of been left to the side and we haven't seen much from them recently especially given they have western publisher western developer presence as well now with creative assembly um producing you know yeah um rts's um, and stuff like that it's just really interesting direction 
yeah like why do you think that they've taken this new direction do you think it's just purely in um reaction to how these games sold yeah purely just trying to diversify their portfolio probably and also yeah yeah trying to uh, diversify Mm. across western markets but also having the the japanese market there with you know their their older ips and yakuza and persona and stuff like that um and just yeah they are purely a publisher now so that's 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 their job um it's interesting to see how sonic has also evolved in terms of having their 2d and 3d lines the 2d now more trying to cater towards the old school type of sonic fan but the the new newer i'm sorry not the newer the 3d games catering to more of the younger fan base or now older fan base who actually like the older 3d sonic games and 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 still yearn for that um yeah the sonic series is one that is kind of interesting because it's it's felt at least to me that sega hasn't really ever understood what sonic is meant to be outside of the like the prototypical 2d yep. um originals and i think the well, maybe thing that they... underlines this the most for me is that um the there's a period of time uh during the wii era where they released i don't know how to say this but like a lot of questionable sonic games sonic so we had sonic unleashed rings. that was like a weird werewolf thing that's yeah. notorious but then we also had um a sonic and the black knight i think i'm yeah. unsure of the subtitle exactly but it's just like these really weird 3d games that just they were kind of experimenting with a lot of different things in each one but yeah. then no successive game stuck uh, to that formula i think sonic colors was quite a successful one for them and that stuck with sonic generations that formula of 2d 3d mixing up that kind of gameplay style where do you see the sonic series going like from here now i think you'll get stuff more like sonic mania 2 and that will continue just really hearkening in owning that old school sonic design and then you'll just get these 3d games that just cater to you know stuff like sonic what was the um the reboot called again sonic boom Uh, sonic boom yeah yeah and they're meant to be terrible games great 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 show funny show if you watch clips of it <laughs> i'm not i'm not joking i really like the humor in it uh but um yeah i think it'll just stick to that two line structure and then they'll have they'll build up their film franchise kind of yeah i think with sonic mania even though the circumstances around that game existing are kind of like it's not really it wasn't Sega's initiative entirely. It's yeah. made by um, the kind of community and then brought on as an official uh, project. But like, I think the success of that hopefully has Signal taught them Sega, yeah. a lesson. Yeah, that in that they, you know, they can play for nostalgia and that's fine. Like with Sonic Four and things like that. But if they're going to do it, do they it need properly. to make sure that they really do harness the reasons yeah. why people love these games and purely don't just go for like the marketing or the branding that can bring in like the sales you need to treat it seriously yeah and like yeah i still don't have too much hope for a lot of these 3d games because they are just very hit and miss but I also know Sonic Forces, like, it was they average cater to an audience that has now grown up with those sonic 3d games i.e sonic heroes or sonic adventure and all those older okay. sixth gen. I grew up with Sonic Heroes, and I do not want to see that happen. But there again. is definitely a fan base for those those types of games, and it definitely does cater towards the younger audience as well. Like it definitely still sells to that younger audience. Like more than one of my cousins absolutely loves the Sonic series and loves Sonic Forces. So 
um, yeah, there's definitely an audience for, for those games still. Yeah, maybe I'm just too cynical. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, I just remember when I saw the Sonic, uh, Sonic the Hedgehog film, which I did actually really enjoy. I thought it was just yeah. a, a nice, fun gaming film. Um, and Jim Carrey does absolutely knock it out of the park. It's but interesting. I think at the I end, th- they have a reveal for Tails and the whole cinema just kind of lost it, it including it. these kids who like, they must be like, like <laughs> eight or 10 or something. They haven't gone through the Sonic golden era like I have. They yeah. they loved it. They loved the reveal, which is, it shows the appeal that kind of spans across generations, which I didn't expect, but yeah, fair enough. I think Jim Carrey was a bit too Jim Carrey in that film. He was quite off the wall, a bit too much. And I, I, I get what they were going for in terms of this Nick, Nicholas Tesla type, you know, character, Elon Musk, I'm a genius kind of character and everyone else is dumb around me. But it's still a bit, still a bit oh, too extreme, I think. But no, it was it was a good film overall. Um, quite a nice lighthearted take on Sonic. So, Rob, nice. um, do we want to talk about this recent Game Gear micro thing that was recently announced? Hmm, do we want to talk about it? <laughs> I guess we do. Um, yeah, so for for anyone listening, Sega announced to celebrate the anniversary, they're releasing what they're calling a Game Gear micro, which is uh, kind of as you'd expect, a tiny, yeah. like literally handheld in, in the literal sense, and it is the size of your hand. Um, a handheld version of the Game Gear uh, that comes in four different colours that I believe each have a different selection of four unique games. Yeah, so I think uh, which, the black yeah. version is Sonic 1, Puyo Puyo 2, Outrun, and some other game, I can't remember. But each one, yeah, like you said, has a different set of four games. Well, um, actually, I, I read that um, these consoles were only meant to have one game on them each at first but then sega realized that was a bit too stingy yeah. but even then when they first announced i was expecting kind of you know uh like snes classic uh you know that sort of uh, the, yeah the mega drive classic where they have like loads of games on them maybe, but only having four maybe is, they uh, were trying know. to pull into the whole collectible kind of aspect to it here's here you've got to collect all four of them to get all the games and maybe because there's such a a strong fan base uh there they know that you know most consumers will buy at least two of those micros especially given they're 45 to 50 dollars a pop um but you know we'll see so if you want to collect all four that's going to be 200 dollars almost the cost of a console that's kind of wild yeah but yeah i i don't know I think it's going to, because just with those few amount of games, it does kind of feel more like one of those like key ring toys you'd get rather than a proper mm. kind of nostalgic console. And it might end up going down the route of the PlayStation Classic where it just doesn't have the games to actually I forgot that was a thing. Pack. Well, there you go. <laughs> but that all being said, like having a kind of a really small Game Gear is pretty cool. I might yeah. pick one up myself, but it's a it's a nice way to celebrate nice the anniversary. Too. Yeah. Although there are some very much uh, very cooler things uh, that other kind of um, companies are experimenting with. Oh. Um, and I saw something recently, which was um, I think it was announced last year, but it's called the Analog Pocket. 
and it's ah. this um essentially imagine a hyper modern game boy with like you know modern screens and everything yeah uh, but it can play um game boy game boy color game boy advanced games it can play other kind of atari and, and uh, i think game gear games as well when you say attachment. play what do you mean by that do you mean you're just emulating it or what do you mean by that no, properly play. So you put in the cartridge and it plays it as if it's a uh, Game Boy. That's really cool. Which is really, really cool. And I think it also has like a synthesizer and even like a TV dock. Oh, which, wow. You know, it's, it seems amazing. I'm really hoping that it does actually get released. Kind of build out a Game Boy collection and just pick. I remember Metal Gear Solid Ghost Babel, Game Boy Color. Oh, I really wow. like that game. Um, it's a really cool portable game. Um, it's impressive how they distilled the metal gear uh solids kind of gameplay into a 2d game almost like the original metal gear and metal gear 2 games on msx but yeah oh, God. now now i'm just thinking about getting all these game boy games uh super mario land zelda oracle of ages seasons thing is i have picked up a lot of them for virtual console on like the likes of 3ds yeah but at the same time having the actual cartridge i do own a cartridge back home but being able to like actually put it in a device and you know be able yeah. to play it without having the problems of like the backlight and the battery and just the kind of the dated controls and all that sort of thing having something just yeah. hyper modern that also recreates this that kind feeling. of nostalgic thing from my past is sick that sounds good i might look into this analog pocket did you say analog pocket cool. we'll keep you updated if there's any uh news on the release um but yeah, it looks like another cool thing that maybe is a better investment than this Game Gear Micro is going to be. I never played the Game Gear. I never owned a Game Gear. Um, I was a Game Boy Color guy. Yeah, me neither. Um, so I'd be interested if I ever do buy one just to see what those Game Gear versions of those games are like. Because I've never even played like the Game Gear version of Sonic 1 or, you know, stuff like that. That was... Um, yeah obviously going to be downported to to fit um that system but yeah yeah really interesting cool well that's been a, a really interesting retrospective on sega as a company uh, let us know if you have any fond memories with any of their consoles or games you'd like to share even if those games happen to be seaman which i've told is especially weird yeah if you played seaman and seen seaman you've probably been scarred for life yeah <laughs> C-Man's a scary creature. You sound like you've been traumatised there. <laughs> I haven't played C-Man and I'm, I'm still traumatised, so... Well, uh, C-Man, um, we'd love to hear more about any C-Man experiences that you had. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, that's been part one. Uh, we'll come back straight, uh, straight back in a minute for part two. Hey there, and welcome back to Oko episode 5. In part 1, we took a look at Sega as a company, and in part 2, we're going to take a slightly different detour into some more recent occurrences. Um, so uh, one one slightly interesting uh, release of last week was The Outer Worlds for Switch, and this was one game that on uh, PS4 and Xbox One was kind of really renowned for it. It's very vibrant and uh, eccentric graphical style that really made it kind of feel like space and so um while uh such a kind of technically demanding game was ported to the switch um to make it playable and for it to run kind of acceptably 
a lot of sacrifices had to be made and there were some reviews that really kind of uh took umbrage with some of the textures and mm. some of the just a, a lot of the kind of environment the pop in that yeah. really were took a big hit in this porting job and so yeah i guess uh the the question i pose to you amal is um do you think that um when games are ported whether it's to portable consoles or like you know just slightly less powerful um consoles yeah uh is it a good thing or could they potentially be altered too much where the original vision for the game is distorted? I think it's a good thing. I think in terms of accessibility, just I'm thinking back to when I was a kid and seeing all these games released on bigger consoles that I didn't have. And I only had a portable console at one point in my time, Game Boy Color, and being able to access some of these larger scope games that are a bit more downgraded. That's a really cool thing to have as a kid and just in terms of an accessibility point, being able to experience these games at a cheaper price point, essentially not buying another console. So I think in, in that mm. respect, it is good. But I think when it does get to the point where you're compromising on the performance of the game, and I'm meaning not just like I only need to target 60 FPS all the time, but like sub-20-ish, sub-25 FPS, and it just feels very choppy and starts to affect the game that's when i think you've probably done more harm in terms of trying to port that across it's a reasonable effort yeah. but yeah um in terms of amending the vision well yes in terms of amending the original vision of the game that will be compromised but it's interesting to see how by amending the original vision you're essentially creating a different version of the game especially in some of the the examples i'm thinking of i'm thinking of stuff like max Payne one and gba max Payne one was a a third person shooter on pc and other consoles but it was also ported to gba same storyline mostly the same level was ported obviously the gba wasn't powerful enough to you know run max Payne one in its original form and vision so it's essentially an isometric shooter which is really cool and really interesting to think about and it's just cool to think about how the developers thought about the limitations of the system they designed around that system, so it performed well. It looked good. It had sprite work instead of, you know, um, polygons and stuff like that. And it created a different type of gameplay, a different type of game, by designing around those limitations, creating an isometric game. And I just think in those certain, you know, examples, it can really lead to some interesting decisions. Maybe not consciously even sometimes in terms of... There's another example I'm thinking of in uh, Splinter Cell Double Agent. I don't know if many people know this, but the next-gen versions and the old-gen versions, i.e. the Xbox 360, PS3, and PC versions, were a completely different game to the GameCube, Wii, PS2, Xbox versions of the game. The levels were different, the setting was different, slightly different, the endings were different, the story was different, all in a different order. Just completely interesting how they adapted that for less powerful systems. Wow, that's that's pretty crazy to put so many resources into a port like that. Yeah, but um, yeah, I I totally agree with the the Max Payne example in that I think playing to a, a handheld a portable strength or just the strength of whatever system you're on, and creating mm-hmm. a game that does take the vision from the original but then like like makes it different. That's like totally cool, and I respect that. But in the past few years, when um, consoles have kind of got, and handhelds have got more capable, yeah. like the Vita, the Switch, we've been seeing more kind of 
like for like ports or if they're not ports they're games that are trying to replicate that sort of console gameplay i'm thinking like you know the uncharted one for vita which i know got good reviews but it's like trying to create uh yeah. take a kind of cinematic big tv experience onto a handheld and i'm kind of really conflicted on that and it's, it's interesting because um when i was a kid myself um i was in a similar position where i you know i mainly had a handheld console and i would i was like praying for console games to be released on it it was like going to be the greatest thing ever and when it did start initially happening a lot of them were actually on mobile which was kind of interesting like it was it was mind-blowing but now i'm kind of i've taken the opposite perspective where i i want the game to play to the console strength i don't want to have that same experience um and maybe that's just a kind of an example of you know uh, the grass isn't always greener sometimes these console games are better just on the console and it's better having the games that really kind of play to play to the strengths of limitations rather than trying to circumvent the limitations with uh kind of patchy changes that definitely distort the creator's original vision it's definitely playable out of worlds probably um but it's just compromised on you know a lot of the vision of the game in terms of the design and the graphics and yeah that kind of stuff so and that's like i just want to clarify that that's totally not like um you know uh criticism of the developers who have like done a pretty big technical feat bringing this game onto handheld um and i know like the witcher 3 has also come onto the switch and that's meant to be a really solid port and i think that's slightly less curtailed than outer worlds but it does get to a point where like you've made it playable and portable and there's so many positives about accessibility and stuff but maybe they've gone a bit too far and this just, you know, probably shouldn't have happened. Or, you know, you could think about it the other way. If this is the only way you can play the game, it's probably a... Okay, it's not the greatest... It's not a great way of playing it just because of some of the performance issues, but having that on your system and being able to play it is quite a positive, to be fair, expanding that audience. So... That's, that's definitely true, but, like, I think the game has been, like, so altered that I think it loses a lot of the reasons why I think why it's it less so altered, it's more just fundamentally doesn't perform well and the visuals have been curtailed so much rather than altered in the sense of the game has been altered, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's just that, like, the visuals and stuff were a fantastic part of creating the atmosphere that makes the game yeah. kind of so memorable and if you remove that maybe this is just in a specific case of outer worlds but if you remove that i think you do lose like a reason why the game really kind of should exist Mm. um it's i I would have thought it'd make more sense to um bring a slightly kind of you know older like the fallout games would have been probably perfect on switch i don't think they if they were ported even with compromises they kind of wouldn't affect the vision but outer worlds yeah i don't know it's it's cool they've done and i totally respect anyone that can only play it that way but yeah i don't know i'm I'm putting my cynicism hat on here (laughs) do you have any other examples of ports that are you think can think of where you know it might be a lesser version or it might be a different version uh, or where the game has been designed around different limitations um so there's i've i've heard about the castlevania mirrors of fate 3ds game that i know is meant to be better yeah. than the kind of fully 3d castlevania games purely because it kind of retains the reason why people love castlevania the the 2d kind of action games i don't know why they kind of went away from that so much but i know that one is a is a good example i think another game which this is cheating because it's released before and also it's um it's not really a port 
is uh, the Animal Crossing series. So Animal Crossing Wild World um, was released on DS in like 2005, I think. Yeah. Uh, no, probably 2006, actually. And like, it's, it's limited. It looks very, very dated now, especially with this beautiful HD version. Mm. But just having that kind of the portability of it and actually having a lot of like really weird, unique content and dialogue made it a better game in my eyes than um, Animal Crossing City Folk or Animal Crossing Let's, Let's Go to the City, which was released on Wii a few years later, which was essentially... A, it was a Wii port of the DS one, but just being locked to a console... Um, and having a lot of kind of questionable moves and trying to like increase the scope of it rather than um, like amplify the elements that made it and Wild World so good meant that I would 100% take the DS version for all its limitations over the Wii alternative. Uh, what about you? Yeah, so Aladdin is my go-to example because I, if people aren't aware, Aladdin on the Genesis and Snares were two dip- completely different games. Um, released at the same time but i can't remember why they you know produced it or designed it in that way i think maybe around limitations and so i really vastly preferred the genesis version which i think has a better soundtrack and just better visuals and stuff like that than the snes version whereas the snes version apparently i haven't played it has better platforming and that kind of stuff but that's just another really wild example of not even just a, a traditional game but like a licensed game being produced in two different ways two different separate games around the limitations of the main consoles and not really limitations as well it's just a really interesting example i would love to get more into movie tie-ins and Mm. just how kind of interesting they've been over time peter jackson's king kong as some people made fun of is actually a good game um solid game that was a a fantastic pub quiz answer (laughs) Um, for a game that actually uh, I think it's got over 80 on Metacritic so I'm not making fun of Peter Jackson's King Kong um, the the movie the game <laughs> I can't remember the subtitle but yeah good title and it, that's that's been really strange like there's been some fantastic movie times there's been some very hit and miss ones yeah, uh, yeah that's that's gonna be interesting but um uh, going back from um, or looking forward after taking a look at some older ports um, one thing about I think the next gen that is really interesting for me especially on the Xbox side is this kind of cross-gen compatibility mm. that's being shared so the the Xbox the delivery system I can't remember exactly smart what it's delivery, called smart delivery I think smart delivery that's the one so um, using cyberpunk as an example uh, if you buy Cyberpunk on Xbox One X, you can then play it on Xbox Series X for free, which is a, a fantastic pro consumer move. But it does leave me with a few kind of questions in that if if you're kind of assuring um, this cross-gen compatibility, is is the game like made for Xbox One X, but then just to kind of enhance for Xbox Series X? Yeah. Or is it going to be made for the next gen? And then essentially uh, a slightly reduced version is then produced for the Xbox One X. Yeah, that's... I guess kind of like balancing that to those two things is going to be um, interesting for um, Microsoft. I, I don't know, like, do you, are you worried about how this may impact the sort of next generation yeah, i'm just wondering on their flagship games is this gonna i think they said this is going to be the case for all their first party games i can't i don't i think it's at least for the next year or two there's, Which, there's definitely like a limited time like scale is interesting because you'd want 
you know, these first party games to really showcase what this console can do. I'm thinking about these AAA games that have been promised from the new studio, The Initiative, um, Halo 6, sorry, Halo Infinite, um, stuff like that. So it'd be really interesting to see how they perform on the older console, if it, if that's just a second afterthought. If it is going to be consistent, that policy across all their games, so is Halo gonna Infinite going to have that Xbox One version? And also how that will compare against PS5's mantra of this is a PS5 game, this is developed solely for the system. If it wasn't a game solely, you know, developed for the PS4 and remastered up. I mean, it's a pro-consumer move. It's a really good pro-consumer move, but it would just be interesting to see how the, the scope is limited, if we can even tell that or, you know, where the limitations might be. Yeah, it does sound like from um, rumours coming out the Sony camp that um i think they've told developers that all games made after like summer um mm. have to be either like specifically focused for ps5 or compatible for ps4 if yep. it's the world yeah um which as as you know it makes the ps5 investment more kind of palatable for me because um yeah like if, if i'm buying um a new console for uh over 500 pounds as my prediction stated <laughs> uh you know i i want it to be able to be a significant step above the ps4 pro that i already have i don't want it to be kind of curtailed by the limitations of that console also you're probably not thinking about that when you're purchasing something you're probably not thinking oh i'm gonna buy this console because its potential is being more uh, potentially potent <laughs> potentially this potential is being more tapped into in the early years you're probably thinking are there the games that i want to play on the system if they're not, I'm not going to purchase it. If there are, I am. So that's really still going to be the decider at the end of the day. And maybe we won't be able to perceive those limitations because we won't know what the what-if scenario of what if this game was just solely developed for an Xbox Series X will be like. So perhaps we just won't perceive it. Um, maybe if we compare solely PS5 developed games to Xbox Series X cross-platform Xbox One games, but... Even then, I'm not too sure. And I think it will, again, just come down to the games, the exclusive that's, games. That's a fair point. But like, I kind of, I hope a lot of the games are taking advantage of the features yeah, that, yeah. you know, we, we've heard rumoured about the PS5. Definitely. So like using this like new and updated SSD to mm. um, like really reduce loading times and stuff like that. I guess loading times is something that is an easy win without kind of, having to compromise or change the vision of the game yeah. you could just make them quicker which is that's cool but i do hope that i get to see the benefits of uh, new gen especially if i'm going to invest in a console around launch i'd like to see them sooner rather than later but i think you're right in that it's really the games that release i don't I, i've never really cared about power too much i just i just want good games and yeah if they can re um, release good games while also keeping them cross-gen, I will probably be satisfied, to be honest. So, yeah. Cool. Well, shall we uh, go on to the Q&A? Yeah, sure. Just to wrap things up. We have a question from Jay this week. Uh, Jay's returned with another question. And that question is, Thank Rob, you, Jay. is there still a place for portable standalone consoles or is mobile going to become the new normal? Oh, the new normal, my least favorite phrase of all time. Uh, that is a very interesting question. And I'm glad I left it to answer off the cuff rather than look at my notes, because I think the discussion we've had has um, definitely influenced my, my view on, on the question. Ah. 
I think entirely portable standalone consoles, um, you know, looking at the DS, the Game Boy, stuff like that, I think those kind of are a thing of the past. I think the precedent that the Switch has set, um, and I guess like the Switch Lite is almost like a kind of a portable standalone console, but I think that only exists because the Switch exists. And I think stuff like the Switch is or like what we're going to have in the future that's kind of hybrid i don't think a portable standalone console does make sense and that is in part because yeah i think mobile does cover um a lot of the aspects that kind of justified the completely um hand like um yeah portable standalone consoles so um the switch can handle a lot of the games that were kind of like ambitious and a lot of the games that were um, like trying to push the the kind of the handheld consoles to the limit in the likes you know the Pokemon the Zeldas and stuff like that I can deal with that but then a lot of the kind of the more casual um, aspect ones can both function perfectly well in that but also thrive more in a mobile space yeah. I kind of between those two entities I don't really see there to be a need for a portable standalone console in the way that we previously imagined it's just I don't see the market for it um yeah, what, what do you think? I think that the new normal, and maybe 10 years from now, will be whatever this Lockhart lower-priced Xbox will be in terms of having enough hardware juice on the local end to, you know, play games, but then using streaming, if it gets to that point, if we get to a level where lag is imperceptible for most games, that being the mainstream option of a lower-cost part hardware based hmm. mostly cloud based computing system and also just being able to play your games on whatever system you want if you want to play it on your pc play it on your pc if you want to play it on your laptop play it on your laptop if you want to play it on this console play it on that console it's going to be a very flexible freedom based subscription based service and i think that's the new normal and mobile is intertwined with that and you're seeing that with the new Xbox, I can't remember, Xtreme is it called? Um, their new cloud-based system. Um, Google mm. Stadia, not as accessible at the moment, and stuff like that. I think that's the new norm. And so to answer the question, really, is there a place for portable standalone consoles? Probably not outside of a nostalgia-feeling hybrid system, i.e. A, a, a company that can tap into the to nostalgia of the history of portable gaming consoles i.e nintendo and the game boy series or can just release a one-off product like the game gear micro or you know that, that analog pocket that you're talking about that's really aimed at a niche audience that's only aiming to sell a couple of hundred thousand units perhaps at max at, at most and that will be what portable gaming is a mobile will be intertwined into this new hybrid future I'm going to disagree with you on that. Uh, <laughs> for a controversial, probably like our first debate, proper debate on this, this podcast, I guess. But um, take it out on the I street. D- <laughs> Shady yeah, maybe outside. Uh, I'll, I'll bring my uh, bring my vest, and my boxing gloves. But no, I, I do agree that that is the way gaming is going, for better or for worse. That sort of kind of streaming and like accessible from wherever you are. However. I think kind of portable mobile gameplay, uh, mobile not in the literally like mobile phone, but just you know that sort of yeah. taking stuff with you. I don't know if that is going to necessarily 
follow that trend for a few reasons firstly there are a lot of kind of big obstacles i guess like 5g's prevalence if you know it actually gets through i know there's a lot of people that think it's uh causing the world to <laughs> slowly go mad but um you know if 5g becomes affordable and widespread yeah. then yeah like it might be technically possible but that's a big question mark for me and secondly i think you know from from mobile and stuff you do need physical controls i don't think people will like really take something like that around with them massively so and I that's think why i is... think the hybrid future is still going to be there in terms of you're still going to yeah. have your switch and that will exist out of the the companies that can tap into that nostalgia element and you'll have controller attachments for phones and tablets being a bit more acceptable and used and that's... But th- a big reason for why the Switch has been successful is not purely just the hardware, but also the kind of the nature of the games. Nintendo yeah. have done a brilliant job, and like all of the kind of the third-party developers as well, whether by you know design or by accident, the games are made to be played in like played well and enjoyable in a portable environment, mm. as well as being really engaging on on a TV. Um, if if games do go along the the route where you know your cyberpunk type games are playable through streaming and maybe that's the future i i don't think that sort of kind of like aaa epic game necessarily has i don't think it's worth playing portably like you don't just want to get into that for 10 minutes at any time true i think there w- there needs to be a space for games that are made if not specifically for for portable and that's, and that's portable why you'll mines. have your 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 local systems doing some of the the power you know uh, the computing power, like, um, like I thought, in terms of like Xbox Lockhart, and there might still be your dedicated consoles if they stick around. In terms of them being the upper tier priced versions, uh, maybe less purchased, but purchased by the hardcore, um, getting that yeah. real elite AAA experience. And you'll still have those existing, but I think this play anywhere concept will be pushed forward a lot. Yeah, I, I think like. Yeah, ultimately, I do agree that that will probably be the future. But while the hardware and the kind of the the motivation towards that sort of future, you know, can happen, yeah. there needs to be a significant kind of change and um, appreciation of game design for these situations. It can't just be like you can play this anywhere. That's it. Yeah. It needs to be you can play this anywhere, and it is worth playing mm-hmm. anywhere. Um, yeah, and maybe that will come. Um, but yeah it's gonna be interesting i think next gen is going to be the first tentative steps towards that sort of future and it's going to be yeah fascinating seeing how these things do evolve i'm looking forward to it cool that was yeah that was a really interesting question i'm, I'm really excited to see especially next gen how this is going to change in terms of the evolution of 5g streaming tech uh, whatever the switch 2 is if you believe there isn't going to be a switch 2 uh, or if there will be a switch to but yeah really interesting question thanks jay um yeah so that comes to the end of our episode rob um oh actually no there, there is one thing we do have to admit and it's um blasphemous you know one hit ko section we haven't yes. got as far with the game as we'd like and we think we might have to delay our deep dive into blasphemous by a few weeks unfortunately Yes, we do have slight good news in that if you Ooh. haven't bought it yet, um, you can actually get it on sale on Switch, uh, which oh. I've picked up and I'm quite happy with that. Uh, the waiting did work. But yeah, basically, when we initially did the one hit KO section, we thought, oh, you know, we're going to do some short indie games so we can get it out in a few weeks. 
turns out Blasphemous is not a short indie game. It's a very long indie game. So we're going to give it the same time that we would give it for any normal game, which is, you know, the full month. And we'll be discussing it um, on probably in two episodes time in more detail. So, um, yeah, look forward to that. And that's a a good segue into what's going to happen next episode. We will have a special guest and we may be continuing this retro theme with a few retro type topics. Oh, exciting. Uh, I can't wait to find out who is going to be our guest. You already know. (laughs) I do already know. (laughs) I was just playing it up for the podcast. You've you've broken the fourth wall, the immersion. It's all gone down. You're such a showman, uh, Rob. You're such a showman. Uh, I do have my showman hat on. (laughs) Wow, it's it's been fantastic as always. Uh, Thank you, Amal, for joining me. Thanks, thanks, Rob. And yeah, we're all this lockdown easing, world looking up, generally positive more games coming out well i mean we, we have a long way to go both in terms of yeah <laughs> there's, there's a lot of things um i think the world needs to get right um but yeah 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 hopefully we're we're on the up and hopefully um, the events of you know the world lead to some you know better things happening in the future better legislation and all that kind of stuff so hoping for yeah. for good things to, to come out of this yeah, because as much as we can talk about gaming for an hour and 27 minutes, uh, you know, there are more important things yeah. that we we hope um, we hope we get to see um, sooner than we get to see next gen, really. That's that's how much uh, we care. Yeah. Cool. Cool. So, well, thank you for uh, having let's, me let's, again, Rob. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been it's been great. Uh, let's let's end with our customary one hit KO attempts thing. Okay. <laughs> Okay, three, two, two one. one. One hit one KO. KO. Oh, I did the short one. <laughs> it's fine. We can we can do either. I'm happy. That's been good. All right. See you, Rob. Cool. See ya. And have a good week. One hit KO podcast at gmail.com. See ya. See ya. Bye.